WTOC AM, W236CR, Indianapolis. Keeping you informed with what's happening in and around Indy. It's Community Connection. Brought to you by Child Advocates. Your voice, their future. On Praise AM 1310, 95.1 FM. And good afternoon and welcome to Community Connection. I'm Tina Cosby. Today is Thursday, February 1st. It is the first day of Black History Month. And as per our tradition, we will observe it in a number of ways, including today, this very first day. We'll tell you more about that just moments from now. A little later in the show, in our second hour, you're going to hear from some of the people who are organizing Community Day at the State House. Uh, it's coming up next week uh, and will offer a rare and unique opportunity for citizens, businesses, and other members of the community to learn firsthand about the legislative process and how to make it work for them. In other words, how to make it work for you. Again, Community Day at the State House in our second hour. Right now, as we were saying, today is February 1st, the first day of Black History Month, and I can't think of any better way to start off the month than with an update on a situation we learned about several days ago uh, last week. Um, it had to do with IMPD's request to create and wear Black History Month commemorative badges during the month of February, starting today. Uh, in what has been described as a concerning miscommunication, uh, the badges were not ordered on time uh, for the start of Black History Month today. But since then, a lot of details have been sorted out. The badges are now on their way and will be worn by officers, both active and retired, black, white, and other. But it is not likely that it will take place this month, or is it? I don't know. We'll get to that and more right now. I'd like to bring in our special guest to discuss the badges, to discuss city police African-American history, city police African-American history, IPD, IMPD, uh, and a whole lot more. Uh, she's just a very good person, a delightful person. I'm proud to call her a good friend, too. Sharon Franklin. Sharon Welcome to Community Connection. You are a retired police officer for the city of Indianapolis. You are a former city county counselor, and you are a current civic and community activist. Uh, Sharon, you are still out there, and, and we love it. How are you doing? Thank you, Tina. Thank you for that <laughs> great introduction. Uh, I try to be quiet. but no, <laughs> Yeah, I do. <laughs> but when my phone rings, um, mm -hmm. I find it in my heart to help whoever's on the other yeah. end but thank you so much yeah. thank you for allowing me to be here thank you for asking me oh, and yeah. i would do the best i can to provide the <laughs> accurate information that i have well happy first day of black history month and and i know you are the type that when the call comes you answer it you don't ever not answer. i think that's in your nature isn't it yes ma'am yes, it, it has is. to be it has to be so um for those who may now just be hearing about this i want to i do want to start for a few um, about the badge situation um, as it stands today. So where are we as far as the badge situation as it stands? Badge, I'm not saying bad, I'm saying badge for those who can uh, hear, badge situation as we are today. So where we stand right now, Tina, the mm -hmm. last communication I received from uh, Dane Nutty of the India, uh, Indianapolis Public Safety Foundation mm -hmm. um, via a email on January the 23rd was mm -hmm. that um, the badges had been ordered and those of us who had ordered uh, prior to December the 27th, um, the um, badges had been ordered and they um, were offering a 50% refund to those who wanted 
Uh, however, uh, the retirees that I spoke with, no one wants a, a refund. Uh, we're just excited about the newly created Black History Badge and its connection to the achievement and contribution mm -hmm. of black officers in our community, dating back to as early as the 1900s. And uh, we are excited about this artifact and its historical context. Uh, and it's really essential for us uh, to have something that's tangible. You know what, the badge itself, uh, all of the other miscommunications, so to speak, aside, just the creation, the formation of the badge itself is, is black history. Because my understanding is that IMPD was the first public safety agency in the country to come up with something like this. And that other agencies are like, you know what? That's a great idea. How about how about us doing it? Other public safety. Uh, Absolutely, because yeah. I, I spoke to one of the um, officers as a part of the Minority Police Officers Association, uh -huh. and the officer was telling me that other agencies had reached out to them to ask them could they get the badge, and mm -hmm. they were just instructing them, well. You have to call, get in contact with a manufacturer mm -hmm. to see if that mm -hmm. badge could be reproduced mm -hmm. for that particular agency. Mm -hmm. And I just don't want I IMPD to miss an opportunity to be that first. Mm -hmm. uh, working on East District with Officer, um, well, sorry, with Commander Waters, mm -hmm. we were pioneers. We uh, always had a p pilot program, okay. and we championed that. And I would like to see that, you know, continue. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I remember, uh, I, I remember, was it Chief Waters, or Commander Waters? Commander I, Waters. I, I remember yes, Commander. I, I liked him a lot. Loved him actually. And he was, he was always so good to us, and and, and good to you know the, the media, and, and and really especially good to the community. So, uh, you all were uh, very innovative out there yes. uh, on the East District when you were there. So when the, the the formation of this this badge that that that's along that same spirit yes. and it's unfortunate that it got derailed not, but it didn't really get derailed because it's still going to come into existence right I yes. mean it got derailed uh, according as far to the, as the email timing. I received yes yeah. uh, it's going to come in is we're going to still get the badges mm -hmm. uh, um, I wish like you said there wasn't that delay because. Um, Chief Bailey could have used this for his legacy because as we know with black history mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and for all the historians out there if my mm -hmm. history is off don't jump on me just yeah, call let me us and know, let, let us, us know, know. Yeah. Oh, but, hold on speaking of which you, you hold that thought okay. right there our number of course of course our number our new number 317-972-3008 317-972-3008 uh, our guest retired IMPD officer Sharon Franklin also former city county councilor uh, community and civic uh, activist uh, is here with us on this first day of Black History Month. We're going to talk about the badges, but we're going to go beyond the badge because I think the badge has pointed up the necessity to go beyond the badge as yes, far as black history. Anyway, so anyway, go ahead. So if, uh, if you look at history, uh, in t 1926, Carter G. Woodson initiated the first celebration of uh, black History mm -hmm. Week. Then fast forward, it was in uh, 1976 when pre uh, President Gerald Ford uh, fix, uh, officially recognized Black History Month and called up on the public to uh, honor top neglected uh, accomplishments mm -hmm. of black Americans in every endeavor throughout our history. So with that being said, Yes, someone else always initiated, so mm -hmm. uh, it was approved under uh, Chief Taylor, and now we have uh, uh, Chief Bailey. So then, it, this could have been could be part of his legacy. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have your PR people 
Mm-hmm. Spin it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I don't know they may IMPD may have spun out of it uh, so to speak correctly. It's just uh, I I hope you know maybe you know miracles happen and maybe at some point in time uh, the badges will be here so that at some portion of Black History Month they can be worn. But uh, my understanding is that once they arrive uh, that they can be worn for what thirty days after or be worn to commemorate. Well, anyway? I haven't gotten that official communication uh-huh. because I'm not mm-hmm. active. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know what the, the mm-hmm. what the communication is for the um active officers, but I am sure that the that would, you know Mm-hmm. Probably be something that they're uh, pushing for. Uh, again, uh, this would have been a great legacy because you definitely, uh, such as out in Lawrence, mm-hmm. you know, uh, oh, yeah. they have an African American uh, mayor, mayor, and uh, you know, we we wouldn't want someone else to be first. It's it's best to be the first, so we can say, well, that was our idea. Yeah. Um, well, it, it, I guess in a lot of ways, it's still, you know, you're still solidified. IMPD is still solidified as the first uh, because you're the first one to do it, first one to introduce it. The timing or what have you, that, like I said, that's unfortunate. But this is a great idea. And I truly believe that other law enforcement agencies and other public safety uh, agencies are going to be following um, the example set by IMPD. But um, there, the badges were, uh, you know, kind of like a labor of love in, in the sense that, um, they celebrated the rich legacy and the rich history that African Americans have had in terms of contributing uh, to the city's police department, dating all the way back uh, to the 1800s. And there was an amazing story, um, black history story, uh, Ben Thornton, a former slave. Yes, who, ma'am. Who became nationally known. And I just found this out, yes. Yeah. And He's represented in that in those colors and all in all of the things that that, that badge. Tell tell us you, tell us what you can about Ben's. Uh... Thus far, what I've known and learned, and this was this was exciting timing. Uh-huh. And Commander Ida is, I mean Williams is very excited about this as well. IPD had mm-hmm. their had a well, I'm not say their own slave, but had a. <laughs> We, a, we know what you mean. Had yeah. an officer that became that was a slave, a former slave. That was a yeah. former slave that became a police officer, and w- and went on to be a detective. And as of recently, um, because of what happened in uh, 9/11 and the mm-hmm. officers and firemen uh, being awarded line of duty deaths, mm-hmm. um, because he I think died from pneumonia, mm-hmm. uh, is now. It's now declared a, a line of duty, but we have an amazing historian, Pat Piercy, that's on IPD. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have somebody writing your story, some stories never get out. But I ordered the book off of Amazon last night, and I'm, I'm, I'm truly excited because mm-hmm. here IPD has this tie to this particular uh, man, and that makes that badge all the more special, too, because mm-hmm. here you had a, like you said, a runaway, born a slave, runaway come here become a police officer and then and then mm-hmm. he becomes a detective and he was a nationally known detective for his his amazing skills and mm-hmm. he caught pneumonia because he was uh on i guess staying yeah. staying outside uh on stakeout yeah. yes yeah. uh in the cold yeah. for a cop killer out of ohio mm. 
So he knew how to solve a case. He knew how to solve a case. He was nationally known for his ability in to, 1800s. In the 1800s, for his ability to catch the bad guys. Yes, ma'am. Man, that that should be a that should be a documentary. That should be maybe even a movie. That, how exactly. many how many former slaves do you know not only become police officers right after slavery, but rise to national prominence? And so, like you say, there that is just part of the weight um, and part of the information behind. Uh, the formation of that incredible badge. Wow. Yes. Uh, 317-972-3008. 317-972-3008. A retired IMPD officer, Sharon Franklin, is here with us. And we are on the first day of Black History Month, and we were talking about uh, the badges which are on their way that um, that so much uh, represent and illustrate the, the rich uh, history that African Americans have and the roles that African Americans have played uh, in the city's uh, police department. Um, let's let's fast forward to you because uh, I want to go back in history just okay. a little bit because the, the the department has made um, national news in so many other ways, and African Americans have been a huge part of that. Uh, because I know I, I I was talking to you. I said I remember covering a story uh, once about um, our uh, homicide unit. Yes. And yes. they made national news for their, their clearance record, which was well over 95%. And then I was doing a little more research. There was a unit that was like 10, 15 years before I had even come on the scene, maybe 20 years, that made national news for having a 100% percent clearance, clearance rate. Yes, ma'am. Man, in homicides, a 100% clearance rate. So that that was just absolutely amazing. But... um. You, you, let's find out a little bit more about you and, and how you got to be um, a, a police officer. You're born and raised here in Indianapolis? So I was not born here, Tina. Oh, okay, okay. Well, <laughs> we'll most, most of us were born in the 60s. We were born down south. <laughs> okay, you were born down south? Yes, okay. ma'am. I wasn't born here either. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> yes, but then raised here, and uh, I graduated from Arlington High School. Mm-hmm. When went from um, Arlington High School into the military, I uh, was in the military, so I retired from the military as well, mm-hmm. and um, uh, left uh, on active duty for ten years. Came back. Uh, I actually missed the camaraderie of the military. Oh, uh, but I was looking for a job that would give me that same camaraderie, mm-hmm. and uh, I actually ended up meeting a state <laughs> trooper, and uh, tried to get on state police, but. Uh, didn't pan out, which is great because then I got on IPD and I love, I actually love my career. Mind you, I have to remind people, you know, the old saying that we have, it could be this, all the uh, family, the brothers and sisters sitting at the table eating the same meal, but each of them grow up differently. Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay, yeah. So that's the same way with the police department. Uh-huh. We could all be yeah. on the police department, but we're all in different districts. We're not having the same experiences. Uh, and wow. you have to consider taking a uh, consideration too. Each person's background that they come come from or come with, um, the experiences that they have in life that they bring with them, um, being an officer as well. Mm. But uh, back to me, so yes, I um, I've done a, a myriad of things. Seriously, mm-hmm. I was an uh, operating room technician. I worked a short time at the Civil Rights Commission, screening cases, which is a great job for those civic-minded people in our community. The Civil Rights Commission uh, Commission is always looking for people to work on contract. And that would give you eye-open experiences to the things that are still happening mm-hmm. today that shouldn't be happening, but they're still happening. Happening, And if you don't have someone 
uh, an advocate that's mm-hmm. actively screening the cases, stuff fall by the wayside. Mm, mm, yeah, it does. So when you when you uh, you know first applied for for IMPD uh, for was you no know, was it was it IPD? When it was you started, IPD. IPD, yes. and then it merged into IMPD. Okay, mm-hmm. so when you first applied for the city's police department, were you thinking anything? at all about the fact that you know what uh first and foremost i'm female (laughs) and second and foremost i'm african-american did any of those things cross your mind or you just said this is what i want to do never crossed my mind to say this is what i wanted to do Mm -hmm. and uh i guess when i ran up against a situation or Mm -hmm. if i had a situation i dealt with it as it came because you have to remember i just i just come from the military i been in the military and I didn't have any mm-hmm. adversaries or av- mm-hmm. you know well I had an incident in the military I don't want to make that public um, <laughs> okay. oh it was a negative it was a uh, it was it could have defined my career because it was something that happened to okay. me okay. Uh, it actually was a crime mm-hmm. so it happened to me but I kept pushing forward uh-huh. I kept pushing forward so um, um, so I can't say that Mm-hmm. You know, I guess it's your mindset yeah. of how you yeah. handle things. But I, yeah, I mm-hmm. never thought about, oh, I'm black, I'm female. Mm-hmm. I just thought about mm-hmm. this is what I want. I'm going for it. Mm-hmm. And were um, were you that. ever, while you were on the department, were you ever made aware of the fact that you were black and female? You would have. You would ha- okay. You, if you're talking about my coworkers. Uh, I think maybe I was always cognizant of it anyway because, Mm -hmm, you know, as mm -hmm. the kids say today, we code switch. But code switch is so normal that you Mm -hmm, don't even think mm -hmm, about that mm -hmm. you're doing it. Mm -hmm. So I cannot say that I was never aware that I'm black and female. That, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Were you you ever cognizant or did you ever feel any particular weight on your shoulders that, hey, I'm representing the city of Indianapolis on the police department and I'm a black female and so therefore I must do so-and-so as an African-American female, or did you not get in that particular space? I didn't so get in that space. Yeah. I did get in that space. I just yeah. did what I, I mean, if there was some, or if I felt, because I, and I remember someone telling me, Sharon, mm-hmm. there's no um, gray area with you. It's either black or white. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. It's either right or it's wrong. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and so, um, but I've always been that person that's, spoke up for mm-hmm. anything that I thought was an injustice. Did you ever feel the responsibility perhaps as a role model because you were black and female? Yes. Okay. I always felt that because when okay. I come into contact, especially with uh, mm-hmm. uh, disadvantaged uh, kids mm-hmm. uh, in the, uh, on my beat, I was always going over and above. Uh, I remember there was actually a young woman on our department um, <clears throat> and I thought that I had a pretty good life, mm-hmm. and I took her work to show her where I started and where I've ended, mm-hmm. so that she would strive, just have that something to strive for. She she surpassed me, and I'm so happy she mm-hmm. surpassed me. Okay, but that's okay. the goal. She took the baton and ran yes, with it. Yeah, took the baton and ran with it, and that is the point. So I try to be a mentor to, especially to as many uh, as the younger officers as I can, mm-hmm. um, because I am aware of the dynamics. That 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 they could face. Yeah. But as far as uh, my uh, being black in the community, oh yeah, I always try to be a role model. Uh, I remember there was a young lady that lived in uh, Brightwood, twenty mm-hmm. third uh, in Brightwood, and um, uh, they didn't have streetlights, so I don't even know what pr- 
gave me the mindset to write up this proposal to take it to the mayor to get the street lights mm-hmm. and but the long story short they end up getting street lights I don't even know how I even had the wherewithal to do that but actually I uh, asked the young lady's mom could she come stay all night with me which she trusted me mm-hmm. thank God and we don't have all this the craziness that we have going on now I took the little girl shopping but I wanted to show that little girl um to better and to strive you got to strive yeah. to get here yeah uh actually i remember taking a, a van of kids i implemented a program downtown district uh, where i would go to the shelter mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. salvation army shelter take the disadvantaged kids on trips and i would ride them out to guys to show them this is what you need to be striving for even if you get to the middle strive here don't uh, get stuck. Where don't get yet. stuck. Yeah. Don't yes. let your circumstances define yes. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 317-972-3008. 317-972-3008. Our new listener line number is 317-972-3008. And our guest, a retired IMPD officer, uh, Sharon Franklin. Uh, we are talking about uh, IMPD and the, the history behind the department on this, the first day of Black History Month. Uh, Sharon, uh, whether she wants to admit it or not, uh, is a is a groundbreaking. She she broke some, you know, she shattered some ceilings uh, and did quite a bit because even, you know, you, you're African-American. Females are a minority on the on the force. Yes, ma'am. Uh, African-Americans remain a minority on the force. Yes, I mean, ma'am. it's still you know, there's there's not a majority. I mean, I, I know that there is a. Um, an initiative underway to get more women by a certain year, to get more um, African-Americans every day, uh, and to do a whole bunch of other things to increase diversity. Uh, but that that's ongoing. But you, you were there at a time when there weren't necessarily initiatives to recruit more, so you had to break a lot of ground uh, in, in certain areas um, when, it, when it comes to policing. And one of the areas that you talked to, you just mentioned it, mm-hmm. and you said trust. Yes. That has eroded to a point of almost crisis level within the community and uh, the police department. What do you think has happened? And how were you able to procure that trust? <laughs> Tina, that's a big question I really don't have an answer for. Uh, because there's so many dynamics at play now that were not at play mm-hmm. when I was in my early in my career mm-hmm. and in my generation. Um, you have so many outside factors, you know, internet, internet, mm-hmm. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, mm-hmm. especially Facebook. I found a lot of the kids fighting because of something someone posted uh, on Facebook. Beef, people beef. use Facebook to mm-hmm. manipulate pers- people because they know they're looking at this, so I'm going to put this to uh, you know to manipulate yeah. the, their behavior, their thinking pattern. So I think those are the factors that we're coming up against that we didn't have then. And um, just think if I was the officer now and I had that same I want to take a kid home I can't take no kid home because I don't know if that kid's gonna lie on me and say something Mm -hmm, happened that didn't mm -hmm, happen mm -hmm. you just now you have to be cautious you can't give to me you can't give your whole and your all because you got to think about all these other dynamics so are you saying the trust is is possible is a two-way street that perhaps the police don't trust as much as they they used to is that I'm what not you're saying? saying that they don't they have to be cautious you have to be cautious yeah you have to be cautious in your thinking you because you have to think about the what ifs mm-hmm. whereas i just the, did yeah the culture 
the culture yes, and and you talk about cold cold switch and and the culture how coming up through the and you retired after 28 years yes ma'am what evolution of the culture did you experience if there was any at all or was it basically the same culture that it is right now so tina let me say this um especially because I have conversations with mm. many, especially many retirees and black males. Me as a black female, just listening to my counterparts, I didn't experience half the stuff that some of the black males that I've you know, talked to experienced. Mm-hmm. And um, also as well, um, I didn't experience a lot of stuff that some of the, um, uh, that some of the older black uh, females mm-hmm. only department uh, experience. So I can't say, and I definitely wasn't a go along, get along. <laughs> I think it was almost like mm-hmm. I kind of mind my business and, um, but I was always, it seems that I always had a knack to be able to communicate because I, the, what I've learned, the person behind the scenes or the real is really the ones that's really making the decision and helping the person mm-hmm. that's out front mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and coming up with ideas. So I've always been the person that was behind the scenes and and thank God have been the one that people mm-hmm. trusted. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's some national policies that, I mean, I can't, you know, mm. t- talk about. There's some national policies that black and white are benefiting from right now just because of my relationship with Andre Carson. Andre Carson used to be my partner when we were in the, for- the Fusion Center when he was on excise police. You know, so mm. those are the things. Um, so... I don't. I'm, I know I'm all around you. I not answering that question because I guess I really can't answer mm-hmm. that question. But again, it goes back to everybody's experiences isn't the the, the same experience. You had mentioned R.C. Green, uh, and he was one of the uh, good. Uh, In one of our conversations, yes, I hadn't mentioned it on the air, but yeah, yes, and the he was former a good, detective, uh, homicide detective R.C. Green. Yeah. Right, and he was a good detective. And the a other day at that press, <laughs> yeah. press conference, R.C. said something to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He said something to me. So you have to remember, you may see yourself one way, but mm-hmm. through the eyes of different Others, people. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And he's, 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 what he said was there were some people that were really mean and really kind of nasty uh, coming on, that were on the department. And then he said, Sharon, you were one of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so he said you <laughs> you had an attitude. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh-huh. I thought about it, and I thought, but you know what? I'm not going to apologize because if mm-hmm. that's the way it was, it was the way it was because really I was that person. Do your job. Do what's right. And the rest, mm-hmm. we don't even need to be discussing. It's mm-hmm. just nothing. Yeah. All I want you to do is show up and do your job. And that's kind of how I am. Mm-hmm. I show up. I do my job. I'm aware that the mission is always changing. And maybe it's because of that military background because mm-hmm. your mission is always changing. Yeah. And you have to be able to adapt. Was there a difference? And again, our number 317, Sharon Franklin is our guest. We're talking about uh, policing uh, and the history of policing uh, for African-Americans here in the city of Indianapolis. Uh, we're going beyond the badge. We're going beyond the badge concerns uh, that we brought to you. 317-972-3008. Difference in how um, African-Americans served in the military, difference in how African-Americans served in uh, the police department, how they were treated during service, I guess I should ask. The military, um, and, the, and 
let me say this. I went to the military in the 80s. Okay. okay. So I was on active duty from 1980 to 1992, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it was, we were family. We were looking out for each other because we believed mm-hmm. in the mission. Mm-hmm. And so black, white, whatever, we were always training. You, always, you were always training for war. So even if there was differences, you have people coming from different backgrounds. We all th- get thrown in there, but mm-hmm. now we all at this one place. So they were training us, you know, for war. That's what we did. Mm-hmm. So we were, you know, had camaraderie because we were taught to look out for, you, as they say now, your battle buddy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there were probably personality conflicts. Again, that wasn't part mm-hmm. of, of of my um, my mm-hmm. circle. The military. Uh, once I got to the police department, I came on to the police department ninety one. Mm-hmm. So right out of the military. Mm-hmm. Um. So in my class, it was fifty of us, but it was only it was four females. It was two black and two white. Uh, one one white female didn't make it all the way through. She finished, but it was the other. But it was never any Mm-mm. conflict, or mm-hmm. you know, and. In that class, and we're all still, we're all tight. Like if mm-hmm. one something goes wrong with one, just like it just happened recently, we're texting mm-hmm. each other mm-hmm. uh, now. So I guess it depends on the person, mm-hmm. Tina. That's all I can say because I see even with the younger generation, they're not as close as our gener- well, my class or my generation of class. I was going to ask, do you see yes. the camaraderie? Mm-mm, not at all. Yeah, the lines seem to be a little bit more clearly drawn uh, today with the police departments today, clearly drawn uh, black and white. And I think that that was one of the things, among others, that uh, Interim Chief Bailey says he wants to, to mend. But can it be mended? And you, you brought up a, a very profound, um, a very, very profound factor, and that is social media. Yes, uh, because I can't count the number of homicide, j- just shootings, mm-hmm. you know, gun violence uh, that has taken place as a result. And, you know, people say it's the chief, it's this, it's that or whatever. And they all, you know, the those who are in the know harken back to we can only control so much because of social media. And then what? Because yesterday there were big hearings on Capitol Hill about uh, social media companies doing more to protect children and doing more to protect uh, citizens and things of that nature. Um, on a scale of one to ten, how much more difficult would you say social media has made policing in this day and age? Ten? Probably because think about this. The mm-hmm. stories that the public get is the stories that's on the news and that's the story and that's not going to be all the information because you can never give all the information to an investigation. Mm-hmm. But just based on conversations that I've had or um, that I'm a pri- I'm going to say I, that I'm privy to uh, some, most of the time it's retaliation from some mm-hmm, social mm-hmm, media mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm. You know, but the citizen will think, oh, we just had this shooting. These people are out of control. They're shooting each other. And it's something that has happened mm-hmm. on social media or, or something that someone has said. Mm. Uh, so, and I mean, I'm not saying that's mo- most of the case. I mean, like all the cases. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. It's not all the cases, but mm-hmm. a lot of times, a lot of times. And um, 
it just I just I just don't have an answer, Tina, and I don't know how they change it. Mm-hmm. What I'm gonna tell you, what I've learned, it just based mm-hmm. on what I've told you about myself being mm-hmm. is black, is white, you is right, is either right or wrong, right or wrong, is professional. Even our politicians that I see mm-hmm. now who don't take the office seriously, that goes against everything that's ingrained in me. Everything, every against everything that I've ta- I've mm-hmm. been taught. Of especially about being professionally, like they don't dress professional and um, mm. they just say things. You're they're out there saying these things and doing these things. The this the young generation is looking at that. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? We learn from other people. Am I correct? Now, even if we're learning from other people or mimicking whether it's still up to us what part of that we want to incorporate into our lives. And so, uh, what I learned doing the juvenile initiative that remember I told mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. the mental health program mm-hmm, mm-hmm. coming about because James Waters and I started that juvenile initiative program on East District and uh, we had a lot of uh, we brought well he brought in play, people from mm-hmm. other agencies um, the one lady mm-hmm. specifically came from Connecticut and the thing that I learned was the adolescent's brain is not fully formed Mm-mm. until age 25 mm-hmm. so basically for those people that are listening, those our kids and juveniles that are in our in our households or or that we're in front of, their brains are like clay. When we're molding those brains, do you know if we've known this all of our generations, how much more impact we could have made? Mm. Uh, but you've it, you've made quite a bit. I mean, you're <laughs> you're a black history maker within the department, the city's police department. Uh, and, you know, when you talked about politics, and I want to get to that after the break as well, because not only were you serving as an officer uh, of the law for the city, you were serving the citizens of your district as their city county councilor. You did that for four years while on the department. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yeah. Ma'am. Yeah. So there, there's a lot more. There's a whole lot more. to. We got to take a, a quick break and uh, we'll be back with more uh, right after this. 317-972-3008. Let's get back to the conversation. It's Community Connection with Tina Cosby on Praise AM 1310, 95.1 FM, Indy's Inspiration Station. And we're back with Community Connection, 317-972-3008, 317-972-3008. We are talking uh, on this first day of Black History Month, uh, Black History uh, within our city's uh, police department. It started with a badge, a concern Uh, about a a uniquely first of its kind only of its kind created badge to celebrate um, the rich uh, black history behind the city's police department but we're going a little bit beyond the badge uh, with retired uh, IMPD uh, police officer Sharon Franklin also retired city county council person uh, and a black history maker of her own um, within the department and has been very closely monitoring um, the situation with the badges, which are coming. You say they have they have been ordered, uh, and they will be here, and they will be in hand. Uh, as for whether or not it'll be for any amount of time during Black History Month, we would hope so. But if not, perhaps accommodations can be made uh, for uh, our department to show. And, and you know, Sharon, to, to talk about um, the rich history, you know, of African Americans on, on IMPD, something that could make the you know african americans in the community proud uh of of the contributions of local african americans starting with the former slave ben thornton 
who uh, escaped slavery to come to Indianapolis to join the police department to become a nationally known uh, uh, homicide detective for his uh, record in solving not only murders but just cases in general. In fact, uh, you know, died from uh, a weather uh, weather related uh, in you know illness as a result of being out on on a stakeout. So, uh, but who would you, you know? We we talked about him being one of the main drivers behind the badge, but there's so many other uh, black history makers within the department. D- share some of those. Who Who's a black history maker to you? Well, right off the, thank you, Tina, for that question, <laughs> because right off the bat, the, and this has been on the forefront of my mind, uh-huh. I always think about Lloyd Crow and, and Larry Crow. They were uh-huh. two brothers, and they were the sons of Ray Crow, who you always hear about. There was this... Um, great basketball coach at Crispus Attucks from 1950 to 1957 and took them to the state basketball championship. You always hear about that in the country, Mm -hmm. but no one ever talks about that. He was on a city council and he was a Republican and he was a state (laughs) representative. And yet they never talk about, so the legacy is he had two sons on the department with stellar careers. Lloyd Crow could have been named chief. You know, what kind of legacy would that be? Ray Crow's son uh, mm-hmm. becomes a chief. Ray Crow, this this famous guy, uh, African-American mm-hmm. in the African-American community, his seed goes on mm-hmm. to do X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, um, the minority police officers' breakfast that we, we had talked about earlier mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. press conference mm-hmm. started nine years ago, and that was started by Chief Rick Height, who brought that idea deal in and told the minority police officers that they needed to start having this Black History breakfast honoring the retirees. Chief Height of Chief Height, African yes. American. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To honor the retirees. So, and each year the retirees are or the ones that re, mm-hmm. uh, retire their year look forward to this breakfast that's been going on. Hopefully they, they can sustain mm-hmm. this, but mm-hmm. it has been sustained nine years thus far. Um, also, I think of Tim Knight, Tony Fennell, and Kendall Adams when they had the OK program. The OK mm. program was a program, that. I think it came out of Oakland, California, yes. but they, um, they were engaged in the African to, engage in African-American males' lives to try to make them better citizens. Mm -hmm. And actually, I talked to Tim yesterday, and I asked him, um, I think they had this like a 100% success rate. rate. Anybody that was in that program, I think they all went on to do amazing amazing things. And I asked Tim, do they reach back? And he said, yes, a couple of them have reached back um, to him. Um, I'm sure there's others that I, I, mm-hmm. I'm I not remembering. But, you know, we've had officers that have at least three black officers that I know that have been shot in a line of duty. You have Breanne, mm-hmm. a beautiful young lady. Uh, you know, uh, you had J- Javid Richards. You have Vince Burke. And when you go to work, yeah, you know there is a possibility that you're going to get shot. But you don't think that it would ever happen. And so... Um, there's white officers that have been shot. Don't get me wrong, you know, but uh, and we're Black t- History Month. But so. it's Black History Month, yes. <laughs> yeah. But you have to still think about 
their mental, their psyche. Mm-hmm. They're a part of our community. And oftentimes, too, as African-Americans, we want to ostracize and say we're tired of the black ministers and, you know, but we need the black ministers. Because if you think about that press conference, who were the ones that were standing up for for an issue or mm-hmm. a perceived issue? It was the black ministers. So black, uh, the black community need not lose focus of the importance of of the black ministers um, because that is basically how it started to my understanding think about civil rights that were everything that we've heard about the civil rights starting back in the 50s and 60s it was the black ministers that uh that the politicians would go to to their churches to see if they could even come talk to the black parishioners and then it was the uh, the black ministers that you know would carry the message to the people and kind of direct them what mm-hmm. to do yeah yeah, indeed. 317-972-3008. Again, our number 317. If you want to join the conversation, feel free. 317-972-3008. Kim, go ahead. How are you? Good afternoon, Tina. Happy Black History Month. Ah, Kim Boyd. Get, yes. You know Kim Boyd? Yes, ma'am. Hey, Kim. Kim. Yes. Yeah. Hi, Kim. Girl, it's Sharon Franklin. Yes, this is Sharon. <laughs> Girl, you know you you being modest, honey. She is, isn't she? We're we're gonna get her. We're gonna get her in a minute. She's being very modest. Sharon Franklin, in her day, Mm -hmm. and when she was act, that was the bomb. Ah, yeah, I believe that. She was uh, doing and helping on different projects like mental health around Mm -hmm. the city, and Mm -hmm. I mean a lot of things that are still plaguing us today. And Sharon, yeah. You know, I, I can't say enough about your legacy, right. your work, yes. the council, you know, the battles that you fought. But not just for Sharon, but for others that a lot of people might not be aware of. Girl, you, I'm just I'm just so glad to hear your voice and hear you out here still. Yeah, I, yeah, I pulled her out. I she, said, come on now. Come on, Sharon. You can come on. She said, Tina, I'm retired. I, no, you're not. <laughs> no, we no, got, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's in her heart. Yeah, it's in her. You know, you know, she, uh, Kim, she uh, is responsible. She, she's of course an African American history maker, but she's responsible. Speaking of the council, I, I'm calling it the Sharon Rule because uh, somebody felt the need to come up with a, uh, a a stipulation that you may not serve on the police department and the city county council at the same time, <laughs> and I think that was a direct result of. Uh, uh, Sharon, was that was that the case, Sharon? I, I, I yes, I suppose because you can't couldn't, couldn't control me. <laughs> yeah, okay, see, 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 Kim, see how that went. There was a reason for that. Yes, I remember that. I remember that well. Yeah, yeah. Sharon has been a trendsetter. Mm-hmm. One thing I want to say to the badge, you know. Yes, please. They probably won't get in time for February. But then there's a possibility. I just want to throw it out there about Juneteenth. Oh yeah, okay. that's a that. You yeah. know what, Sharon? That might not be a bad time period. So you trying to bring me back outside? Uh, yeah, <laughs> Sharon, Sharon, you gotta go. It's Juneteenth. It's a pretty day. It'll be a pretty day. Yes, ma'am. But you know what? That might not be a bad commemorative uh, opportunity, and you know, an opportunity for the commemorative badges to be displayed. Uh, Juneteenth. That's a great idea, Kim. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, and to the uh, officers of past. There's two men beyond height um, mm-hmm. that really impacted IMPD well, as well. Oh yes. One was the late great Tony Watkins. Okay. Years and years ago, mm-hmm. 
uh, he was one of the first people uh, promoted within INPD. And in his later years, he was the um, lieutenant for the IPS police and, mm. and helped start that effort. And then the other one was Son- is Sonny Wyatt. You, Sonny I remember Wyatt. him. I don't know if he was ever a chief. I think maybe he was an assistant chief. He might have been. I, I think he was, yeah. Sonny Wyatt. I remember Wyatt, him. Mm-hmm. Sonny Wyatt, when Paula Nay was <laughs> over the training academy for IMPD that was on the old school number nine, you know, downtown years ago. But he was the only <laughs> black instructor uh, through the academy at mm-hmm. that time. And Sonny Wyatt did a lot of inspiration for uh, minorities that were coming through, and not just minorities. He's just a good man, period, that set the example, you know, of how to communicate effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, as he was teaching new officers when he was going, you know, being that one instructor at that time during the academy. But Sonny Wyatt, I mean, he's another one. Uh, that definitely deserves recognition and credit for what he's done. He's retired now, but thank God he's still with us. But... Yeah, and I it helps you know Kim. It does help for the community to know just and one one of the things that I I, I found heartening, uh, very uh, heartwarming, so to speak, was that for all of the uh, issues that the community may have with police officers, black and white, uh, the community came together uh, surrounding this badge for African American officers to be able to show their pride if they wanted to as well. And uh, that was, you know, that was a really, uh, you know, an attaboy to our community and to kind of show that despite the differences, the community is going to come together and support, uh, you know, the the officers. And and I think that um, if the badge showed nothing more, it did show that, that, you know, you can't underestimate uh, uh, the community despite uh, the differences uh, that are are on display all the time. Yeah. You know, just like... um you're right, uh, because everybody has pride, mm-hmm. and every group, you know, they got the gay pride car, police car, you know what I'm saying? But everybody likes to be acknowledged of their origin absolutely. and who they are. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and their ethnicity, and when you look at the history of the struggles uh-huh. of the black people and populations and slavery and all those other things, that is not to be taken lightly because some of those same mindsets and behaviors still haunt a lot of people still yet today. Yeah, they do. That, you know, they were passed on through their ancestors. But I'm going to get off here, but Sharon, you know you my girl. So glad to hear your voice. Kim, I'm so and, glad to hear your voice, too. But, you know, it's the other people that can can remember the things that you can't remember about yourself. So, basically, you're the historian. <laughs> Thank you, Kim. Love you too. Thank you, Kim. It is good hearing your voice. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Kim. That's Kim Boyd, uh, nationally recognized uh, community activist herself. Because you know, Kim got that. You know, she was one of those uh, 
point national points of lights of the George Bush. Uh, yeah, so uh, and you know Kim works hard. Three one seven nine seven two three zero zero eight. Three one seven nine seven two three zero zero eight. Want to touch? Uh, go back to to the council. Your council years. Your council team. What prompted you to <laughs> say uh, I'm not doing enough here on the streets? I want to be on the city county council. What 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 went into that? You want the truth, Tina? I just want you to tell me what. Like, <laughs> so what, what, uh, what was it? Something that you felt like yeah, I'm not doing enough, or more need? You know how how did it all come about? So earlier during our conversation, I mentioned mm-hmm. that there was always you know the, it's the mm-hmm. people that's behind the scenes that mm-hmm. get things done. Uh-huh. So actually, uh, I was dating someone. And my phone was always ringing with mm-hmm. somebody needing advice or wanting me, wanting mm-hmm. some kind of information or something. Matter of fact, my nickname is researcher and fact finder. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I do okay. research everything. Uh, yeah, I can if You want yeah. some facts to be found, yeah. I'm going to find them. But anyway, <laughs> so he said, why don't you just run for city council? That way you're mm-hmm. out there with them. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've so, said that to a lot of people before. Okay. Are, are, why don't you just run for office? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so then it just kind of morphed from there. Now, I lived in a Republican district. There, I lived in a Republican district, so there was no way that I was, supposed, that I was going to win. Mm-hmm. I was not supposed to win. Mm-hmm. And so, but, you know, of course, even though the, a party knows that you're in a predominantly one district or the other, they still put a candidate on the ballot. So I went to the Democrats and I said, well, can I run? They was like, yeah, we just put you on the ballot. And matter of fact, they were so adamant that I wasn't going to win, which, okay, um, that they didn't. They said, you don't have to pay slating fee. I said, okay. I said, but me, I was just being cavalier. Uh-huh. I, said, <laughs> I said, okay, but if I win, I'll pay a slating fee. <laughs> And then as each day went uh-huh. and I got into it, I started, re- I had to research the Constitution. Yeah. Research, um, yeah, yeah, definitely, because you don't want to be out there talking about something you have no idea no about. Idea uh, I had to do a, a, start doing history research. Mm-hmm. But also I started thinking of ways that I could win. How can I win and what can I do? And mm-hmm. then I, you know, there were people that believed in me. Mm-hmm. And matter of fact, my shirt said, fighting for what you believe in and because that's the way I am mm-hmm. always fighting for what you believe in and so actually I, I ordered 500 yard signs <laughs> okay and I had them things were springing up like daisies okay. all, all over <laughs> and I think that's what propelled me because every time you were seeing Sharon Franklin yard signs Sharon Franklin mm-hmm. yard signs mm-hmm. and uh, even though I had to do a recount I still won so yeah. I ended up having to play a slating fee <laughs> Kept my mouth how, shut. how much was? I think it was like eight hundred twenty-five dollars. That stung. That would have stung. That would've <laughs> yeah, that stung in the nineties. <laughs> yeah, I guess it, it stung. It stung in the twenty. I'm sorry, not too. the nineties. Two thousand. It was two thousand. So, so, Sharon, how did you balance that? How did you strike that balance between your patrols and and whatever it is you had to do? Well, at the same at the time, when well, my district wasn't my. I work downtown district. Okay, okay. Yeah, so mm-hmm. my the district that I patrol wasn't my city county council district because it was out in Lawrence. Okay, so, so no it, conflict. So there. no conflict uh-huh. there, uh-huh. no. And then actually I went into arson 
uh, as an arson investigator while I was uh, there. So, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely wasn't a conflict. But I was already doing community relations. I've been doing community relations for so long in the department. Mm-hmm. And uh, in community relations, which keep your mind going, mm-hmm. you're always thinking about ideals of how to engage the community, how to help the community. You're going to community meetings and you're meeting with uh, people. So it's almost it's the same as being a politician. You're listening to their ideals, their concerns, the, and these concerns need to be fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, Kim was right. I worked on with Kim and so many others. Tina, I, I actually I was brushing my teeth last night and I was remembering something that I'd done and I thought, oh, I forgot about that. And I thought, I'm tired. Actually, mm-hmm. I'm tired. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> I wholeheartedly um, mm-hmm. believe in, like I said, helping whomever mm-hmm. uh, call me. Like there's a young man who is a, a, a veteran mm-hmm. who believed that he deserved the Medal of Honor and was getting nowhere. Mm-hmm. And this has been going on, I think, since whenever he went to Iraq. Matter of fact, he sent me his write-up, which is like a college paper mm-hmm. that he submitted for his Medal of Honor. I said, okay, now I have PTSD because I was li- reading everything he was going through when he was in Iraq. But the bottom line is I rewrote it the way I thought that a politician should look at it. Long story short, he texted me. He's like, thank mm. you, because Andre Carson's office is now sending me to the next level, mm. yeah. and this has been going on. Yeah, uh, There's two officers on the police department. One's retired, and one is still active. Their kids, I was active in helping their kids get in the Air Force, and uh, um, actually the kids end up being at the same duty station in Arizona, I went out there in September to visit the kids. They're my kids now, but oh, okay, I, I know one of the parents is probably believes, and I know it's your kid, yeah. but they're such sweet kids, yeah. and I pray for them every day because now I have a vested interest. Nothing could happen to those kids because yeah. they're yeah. my kids. But yeah. um, I have two family members the same way. I remember telling them, you're not going to do anything, mm-hmm. so when you decide you want to go to the military, call me so I can go to the recruiter with you. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's hard to put it down. Yeah, and and I, and just like when you heard about the badge, you had to you had to you had to help. You had to help. You yes. had to help because, uh, and and hopefully, I'm hoping that if anybody's been listening, they've gotten a better idea uh, and more insight into you know policing. Uh, just one particular police officer, retired uh, police officer, who also, you know, worked in the community, and how it all, it just all meshes and and all comes together at some point in time, um, and it, it's it's a, it's difficult, it's difficult, but it's it's been quite rewarding, and those rewards, I think, um, Ricky uh, Clark is here, uh, wants to talk to you, Sharon. Uh, go ahead. Phone. On the phone, yeah. Another retired IMPD officer. Sharon, I suspect you have a, a a group of retired IMPD officers listening to you right now. Go ahead, Ricky. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Tina. And Sharon, how are you ladies doing? We're doing great, fine. Doing hey, great. everybody. Ricky Clark used to be my partner in Gang Task Force. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and he was a great officer there and a great partner as well. Yeah. 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 So it's so nice to hear and having her reminisce about the department, uh, how it was back then and how it is now. I mean, I can recall because I was came on in the mid-70s, and we were uh, doing our very best to make some changes. In fact, I was one of the co-founders of FILE, Fairness and Law Enforcement. Yes. Was, uh, wow. The division of the National Black Police Association. And trust me, in the early days where we were— uh, 
some of us caught pure hell. <laughs> you know, they tried to burn me up in my police car, not once, but twice. Oh, no, oh. Ricky. See, I said everybody's career wasn't the same. Yeah, she she made a good point. Everybody's experiences were not the same. Mm-mm. Yeah, when we got to forming and got organized, they, they a lot of folks did not like that. Yeah, but we prevailed, and uh, like you, you talked about, the ministers, we 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 went to them and had them help us, and then some other politicians back here, Bill Crawford, Glenn Howard, and um, you know things began to get a little bit better. So, but, Ray, Ricky, uh, how how many back. years, Ricky? How many years were you on the force? Not meaning I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, if you count the times before and after, it's close to twenty some odd years mm-hmm. um, on on the department. But there were times prior to because I came, of course, from the radio station and then through the city, mm-hmm. and and really through the arson. As you mentioned arson, I mean, I got I got. Herb Miller and Ed Rogers, which were on the arson squad mm-hmm. at the time, helped break me in, so to speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, yeah, it, it, it was a while. I went through just like everybody else, but I'm happy to hear that things are going a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And it's because of officers like, like, like Sharon and, and Gloria West, who I think may have been the most decorated black officer back in the day. Um, so, and she was also one of the co-founders of file. So I'm just glad that, that, you know, things are going a little bit better. And we have officers like Ron that are speaking out and encouraging those that may want to get on the police department. Cause trust me, it is a lot better now than what it was in the seventies, eighties and nineties, and perhaps even the two thousands. So, uh, more people are being promoted, getting, and more folks are getting better opportunities and, you know, I'd like to think that, that our group back in the 70s and on in the 80s were, um, it's because of that, because we raised, like I said, all kind of all kind of hell to make sure yeah. that hey, we need to be promoted and we need to get some of the better jobs. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and that's, uh, that's, that's pretty much what you've been saying all along as well, Sharon, that there, there's some that maybe deserve recognition that aren't necessarily... Uh, that are that are behind the scenes doing the, doing the job every day as well. Right, and and oh, that's yeah. the, that's what that ba- this is why this badge is so important is recognizing mm-hmm. people like Ricky Clark who paved the way. Actually, mm-hmm. paved the way because he's right. I remember Fowl, and then I remember I think one of the chief uh, Straub. I think it was Straub, but not for sure, mm-hmm. who made Fowl and MPOA mm-hmm. military. Um, minority police officers merged <clears throat> because he said that there need to be two black organizations mm. so i do remember right. foul fairness in law enforcement yeah yeah but there exactly. he came before us right this is why it's so important because there's people that came before him that they don't these kids now and they're not and even me you i've forgotten but remember but they don't even they're not aware of the stuff that ricky them the, to them this is just normal to oh it's normal to have what we have mm. no it's not Rick, the Ricky Clarks and those that came in the past paid the Ben the Thornton's, yeah, mm-hmm. starting all the way back to the Ben Thornton's. So, Ricky, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. How are you doing? You doing okay? Well, so far so good. I'll be calling you because I'm working on a book. And, Saran, I got <laughs> your thing about the badge, but I, you know what? I misplaced it, so hopefully you can send it to me again. and maybe I Send can it right it now, Ricky. <laughs> Did you hear Rick? Rick, she said she's, uh, send, she said she's sending it right now. Okay. Very oh, good. I appreciate that. Okay. All right. And we'll be back. Okay, uh, all right. Thank you, Ricky. And we'll be back to wrap this up. Uh, 
in just uh, just a few minutes. We got to take a quick break, and we'll be back uh, right after this. WTLC AM, W236 CR, Indianapolis. Keeping you informed with what's happening in and around Indy. It's Community Connection. Brought to you by Child Advocates. Your voice, their future. On Praise AM 1310, 95.1 FM. And we're back with Community Connection heading into our second hour. Um, Been having a very, very good conversation uh, with retired IMPD uh, officer and uh, former city county counselor Sharon Franklin. Uh, 317-972-3008, 317-972-3008. Sharon was uh, pressed into service, so to speak, into some more volunteer service uh, when the uh, badge miscommunication came up. But um, in talking with her and some of the others about just the badge itself, uh, we, we, we decided and, and understood that there needed to be a conversation about African-American history especially within our police department, beyond the badge. And, uh, it, you know, it all kind of ties the badge together. Uh, and, and to help you, the listener, and everyone else understand just why uh, this was so significant, because we don't ever want to minimize or forget about the hard work, the sacrifices that, that so many in this area, public safety, your safety, uh, the sacrifices that were made on behalf of the community by these Af- uh, African-American officers. And so um, we've been getting a really, really good insight into a lot of that, dating all the way back to um, uh, a former slave that became nationally known as a uh, one of the best investigators on the, uh, on the city's police department, one of the best investigators of the nation. Uh, so uh, there's, there's a lot there. Uh, and hopefully everyone can understand a little more about why uh, these badges meant so much to those who serve and protect or who are, are called and, and are sworn to serve and protect uh, the community uh, and those of African-American uh, descent. 317-972-3008, 317-972-3008, especially during... Uh, the time that we set aside every year uh, during uh, Black History Month. So, Sharon, uh, back back to the badges. You were saying that um, the just the attention that has been drawn to the badges has uh, boosted sales, so yes, to speak? Yes, yes. <laughs> what I'm hearing is, it, yes, sales. I think it started out with maybe 50 badges uh-huh, or something, uh-huh. and uh, it, I think <laughs> it has now boosted the sales to, like, maybe 100. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, so folks are, you know, they're like, wait a minute, I want to support that. I want to support that. I want to be a part of that as well. So, um, um, so again, um, you know, tying it, your, your experiences are unique, uh, in, in, I, I guess in, in relation to you, but they're, they're quite similar, uh, as we've heard from, you know, some of the folks that have called in, including a retired officer, they're very similar to, even though they're different, they're very similar uh, to what all of the uh, African American uh, officers have gone through over the years, yes, ma'am. Uh, here in Indianapolis, yes, yeah. ma'am. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, again, it goes back to what we were saying. Um, each person uh, mm-hmm. done have mm-hmm. done something that mm-hmm. contribute to the advancement mm-hmm. of of the department and of of other officers mm-hmm. as well. I. Um, Oh, go ahead. What were you going to ask? No, I was going to ask, I, you know, today you, you look in, uh, you know, like I might see a, a police car sitting there and I might see an officer inside that car mm-hmm. on their laptop. 
when back in the day, you know, when I was reporting, I would see officers, you know, maybe with a, a <laughs> I don't know, a notebook uh, or just walking uh, with their hands in their pocket uh, or a detective, you know, uh, just walking uh, and, and, you know, maybe sitting down and talking and what have you. How that that trend, the, the difference in policing that way, uh, what do you think that each style represents? Advancement. You had to think about advancement. Uh, mm-hmm. In our era, we didn't have computers and mm-hmm. we were more in the, uh, think about it, the beats were smaller then. We mm-hmm. didn't have this merger that mm-hmm. they, that has taken place, which spread out and the beats mm-hmm. are, are bigger. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, it's back to what we were talking about, uh, like when we were saying about internet. Mm-hmm. So you have a computer that has advanced and the ki- the people have these phones and mm-hmm. the computers and everything is tied to that computer. Whereas in the era you were talking about, uh, we were out walking and again, the beats were smaller. And mm. so I think that's the contributive factor um, to that, Tina. Yeah. So, um, yeah, a lot different. Yeah. A whole lot different. Um, and, you know, the, I, 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 I don't know, but uh, the, the trust thing, that's a whole nother show. Uh, that's something we talk about. Uh, Mr. Russell, you get the final call because we got to let Sharon go. We're, we, we've held her way too long, <laughs> held her longer than what I asked her to come for. So uh, oh, go, want, go ahead, Mr. Sharon, Russell. We want Sharon to stay. <laughs> we would love for Sharon to stay. I, I promise you, she doesn't know it yet, but she's coming back. Oh, so. <laughs> I was going to go home and go to sleep. No, well, well, you can today. Forever. Today. No, no, no. We're going we're gonna to keep you. Keep you back another I just, time. I just want to say it's a great kickoff to the, to the month. And uh, I just want to say also uh, uh, that to some that that don't see it, you know, uh, in terms of listening, uh, history is so important, although a lot of times, like in school, a lot of times people think, well, it's just an easy snack course to take or whatever. But it's really important because it helps form the opinions that people have and then, uh, you know, not going into real deep, but you know, self-preservation is always uh, very important uh, to people. And when they see something that they think is a threat, they act differently than when they think it's a treat. Mm-hmm. And so, that, I think that's one reason that, that history is so important. And the fact with uh, with the, the Indianapolis Police Department, I think you know, I used to live in life, and I think one of the first really deep impressions I had of the police. One of my best friends, uh, the police came and took his father out of of the house, uh, and he, you know he just was wearing a t-shirt. I thought that was so dramatic, you know, made a big impression on me. But you also had people like James Bruiser Gaines who started the uh, Dust Bowl mm-hmm. in Lockville. Yes, and you know you had people like Spurgeon Davenport, you know, who's one of the top detectives uh you had so many great people richard crenshaw uh from lockfield uh but you know i think it's important uh like for instance uh there was a a man named bass reeves they just did a special one i think on tv uh who was supposedly his life as a united states lawman uh, helped form the uh lone ranger series you know the lone ranger series is kind of based reportedly on his on bass reeves life Mm. and so it's very important i think again that 
history and the contributions that people have made is so important. So I'm very glad to see it raised up. And I, again, I think this, this program is very important and glad to see you do it. Okay, well, thank you very much, Mr. Russell. We really appreciate it. Um, thank you. Uh, Sharon, uh, okay, go ahead. So I, I know you Gary closed me out, Tina, and I actually no? wanted to close with this. I, I, I want to mention that there are many officers mm -hmm. that are on the department now that are doing great things that people may not know about, and they're contributing mm -hmm. to the community cause, because often everything doesn't get recognized and everything doesn't get talked about. So I don't want the community to think that there's not officers, black, white, Hispanic, because as uh, I don't know, most can see, we are diverse. They're real diverse now. I'm, I'm retired, so let me quit saying I. But it's a diverse <laughs> department, and they're contributing to the community. So I don't want to minimize that there's not officers still contributing and doing good things as we see. If somebody's not writing it down and talking about it, you would never know it, such as like Kim talking mm -hmm. about me. Also, this is a pivotal point and it's, I think this is a legacy, and I is my hope that Mayor Hoxett and Chris Bate, uh, Chief Chris Bailey, don't miss out on this opportunity because Kim brought up something I didn't even think about. This Juneteenth is coming up, mm -hmm. so this can circle back around of Juneteenth and be brought up and say, okay, we're yeah. the first agency to do X, Y, and Z for Juneteenth. And think of how many badges can be sold between now and Juneteenth. Yes, ma'am. Yes, it's probably going to be uh, so, so, so very many. Very quickly, you think of uh, Black History Maker on IMPD. What's the first name that comes to your mind? Black History Maker on IMPD. That was the first. Mm. You know what? You want to pin it, and we'll come back to it later. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> probably so many, though. Yes, um, it is. I mean, I want to, yeah. I want to mention... Uh, well, Commander there's, Williams, there's uh, more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Pat Holman, I think. Mm -hmm. Commander Williams was the first female. Ida black Williams, person, yeah. Yes, ma'am, mm -hmm. to uh, go to the uh, FBI Academy. I think Pat Holman was the first uh, African-American deputy chief mm -hmm. or captain. Um, so, And she was actually one of my instructors at the um, police academy. Mm -hmm. So when I think of that, but there's so many more. You got you know, James Toller was there when I was yeah, there. Yeah, Chief Toller. Uh, he, he was the first, wasn't he? Uh, the first African-American chief? I believe. I think he I think was. I think he was. Yeah, I yes. think Chief Toller was. And then, uh, you know, uh, Sonny Wyatt, I think, mm -hmm. was responsible for black investigators getting mm -hmm, into homicide mm -hmm. and robbery. Mm -hmm. So this is doing my tenure. This is why... Writing and talking about history is so important and being passed down to the generations because if they, they're not grasping this, they don't get it. Mm -hmm. So they don't understand a stake. They just think that what's there in front of them is, is normal. And it's not normal because mm -hmm. someone else had to fight for that or get that in in place mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and uh you know what uh you know maybe the renewed interest in the history and the, and the rich history and the proud history of of these officers who knows it may be able to help with recruitment uh you know especially in local african-american communities and local communities in general it just may be able to create enough source of pride that somebody is going to want to say hey i want to be like that person or i want to 
Exactly. I want to help my community. Not, not, you know, I want to serve my community. I want to help. And maybe there's another Sharon Franklin out there waiting uh, yeah, in the She's wings. already there. Simone, uh, Simone Burris. That's a, uh, I actually, I mentor her. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, oh, Simone. Simone is great. Yes. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, well, let me add this too, Tina. We're talking about this, but the uh, IFD, our, our, oh, our brother yeah, agency, brother yes. they have been, the, the Black Firefighters Association has been celebrating Black History Month for years wow. and have had a hat with the uh, red, black, and green mm. on it, celebrating Black History. We're behind the curve, <laughs> so but so no one's speaking about this. But hey, our our sister agency has been been doing it. So well, we why is it such a big in- deal? To, you know, now when we want to really place. A, an be. artifact, it shouldn't you be. know. Yes, it shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. So we got we got to get your brothers in here, your brother sister uh, agencies Agency. in here. Yes, indeed. Sharon, thank you so so very much. And again, we definitely want to have you back. And uh, let us know how that Juneteenth idea that Kim Boyd called <laughs> in uh, is going because I think that's a fantastic landing spot. Yes, uh, yes. And gives you know gives everybody room to regroup uh, to get you know another rollout. Yes. All kinds of things. Here I'm giving him some marketing stuff. Okay. <laughs> some marketing ideas here so anyway are you giving uh, uh, chief bailey your yeah, legacy, your yeah, legacy? Well, i'm just i'm just saying i'm just that's what i do i just sit here and talk so uh anyway thank you so so very much uh, aj let's take a quick break and when we come back uh our next guests are waiting uh we will be right with you shortly uh community connection continues right after this Let's get back to the conversation. It's Community Connection with Tina Cosby on Praise AM 1310, 95.1 FM, Indy's Inspiration Station. And we are back with Community Connection. As we were saying earlier next week, not earlier next week, as we were saying earlier, coming up next week, Tuesday, February 6th, is Community Day at the State House. Um, collaborative effort on behalf of the community uh, so that you can learn more about how the State House works and how you can make it work for you. Uh, Community Day at the State House is organized by a number of organizations, including uh, representatives of the ones that we are sitting here talking to right now. We have with us Tim Brown, managing partner at Crossroads Public Relations, and Denisha Posey, vice president and general counsel for Black Onyx Management. Welcome, both of you, to the show. Glad to have you both here with us. Um, so this event that's coming up next Tuesday is free and open to the public, right? Yes. yes. Okay, so tell us how it's going to work. We've talked, we had this, what, last year? You had yes, it last year? Yes. Thank you okay. for having us, uh, oh, first, thank you for first being of all, here. Uh, Tina. Um, so uh, this year we're going to do a, a continental breakfast, so we need everybody there <laughs> early and on time. Uh, we're going to start at 8.30 at the State House, third floor. Um, and then we're going to actually start promptly at 9 o'clock with the program. And what we want people to do is is come, hear about the, the different bills that are moving through the, through the legislative mm-hmm. period this year, mm-hmm. and then also, you know, ask questions. But you'll hear from leadership. You'll also um, get to hear about some of the bills that didn't make the cut that, that are not being moved in the, in the legislative session, which is uh. also just as, just as important. Um, then we want to also uh, educate the community on how to get involved mm-hmm. uh, because uh, that's the main point, to be informative and, and, and have people understand who their legislator is uh, and then also uh, some of the, the important points that 
they think about day in and day out and how they can move that forward mm-hmm. by getting to know the law, the, the legislative process more and then also becoming active in it. And, and speaking of, of getting involved, uh, you're involved with a number of, uh, of other community uh, agencies. And, and can you list uh, some of the ones that are working in, you're working in conjunction with? Yes. Um, so other organizations that are working alongside us to make Community Day happen is AACI, which is the African American Coalition of Indianapolis. We also have the Indianapolis Urban League, um, Indiana Black Expo. And are there other organizations? Um, those mm-hmm. are just some of the few mm-hmm. that are helping us but, really put this together. But it, it just kind of shows the widespread interest in the mission uh, that, that is of hand uh, because all of these organizations that you just listed uh, are very heavily involved in, in, in serving the community, very heavily involved in community awareness, as, as you know. Uh, so why, why do this? Why do this every year? It is critically important that our community understands the legislative process and understands how bills turn into law and how that affects our community day in and day out. So at Community Day, we will have various um, folks, leaders from all over the state come and talk about different community perspectives um, as it relates to housing, uh, mental health, maternal health, um, workforce development, economic development, Education. Education. Um, there's so many areas that affect our communities in disparate, in different ways. And it's important that we understand how we can be better stewards of this information and ensure that all of our communities across the state are um, able to advocate for themselves. So who are you targeting for the method, for the message and the mission? Who are you targeting? You know, uh, as far as the, the community aspect, uh, we actually reach out to all of the, the communities in our state. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we, we, we started with the Indiana Black Expo doing mm-hmm. a, a policy summit where in that policy summit we reached out to 80,000 um, minority homes to, to try to get their ideas on – uh, uh, on legislation, on what would be important to their particular community mm-hmm. where they reside, and um, and this is how uh, these these different subject matters came about. And so, reaching out to those communities, we developed a community wide agenda as far as importance and what would be levied at the general assembly and what would be monitored. So this is a this is a follow up from that where we're actually giving the community an update on those particular topics of interest and where and what they're and and how they're uh, moving forward or not moving in the General Assembly this particular year. I think what makes makes this unique and special is that it's for us by us. Right. So as as Tim uh, mentioned, we sent out um, a survey to 80,000 Hoosiers across the state Mm -hmm. and asked them in different communities um, as it relates to the black community, what are those issues that are affecting you in Lafayette or Kokomo or Gary, Indianapolis, everywhere? Mm-hmm. And from that, we were able to develop this agenda. And so it is for us, it is for the community, and it is by the community. 
317-972-3008. Kim Boyd, hey, haven't talked to you for a minute. How you doing? I, I guess it's my day today, Tina. I uh, guess, I guess it's good to hear from you. Uh, so you have a question for our panel? I do. Okay. Um, first of all, I just want to applaud them for this effort mm-hmm. and what they stated they've done. Um, it's needed. Um, it should be encouraged, and hopefully, you know, more of the community will join in, participate, and support uh Especially breakfast being provided, so that's good. Yes, was well, it was lunch last year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, last year we did lunch. Uh, last year they did. Well, breakfast is good. It's most important yeah. meal of the day. You know, <laughs> gotta get it in there. And you know, food is always a draw. Oh yes. <laughs> but I want to hear their thoughts uh-huh. on Representative Jim Lucas. Oh my goodness! Have you heard the latest, uh, Kim, yeah. about him waving a yeah. hand, waving a gun at some high school students? Yeah. Are, are you all familiar yeah. with that? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, I, we were going to talk about that too uh, tomorrow on open lines, but yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that interesting up. Interesting aspect. Uh, just, you know, while we oh, hold on, hold on. She's gonna. Okay. Go. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Kim. I think just yesterday, uh-huh. and the pictures are out there. Uh, that to a group of students, uh-huh. he opened up his jacket and showed those students the his gun. gun. Mm-hmm. Yes, now, high schoolers, yes. We had children, unfortunately, here traumatized, mm-hmm. you know, by these actions. It's happening nationally. Uh-huh. But for this man to continue to repeat this behavior, well, and the, and the yeah. Republican caucus not to censor him, uh-huh. Yeah. Or call him out, um, you know, as you're talking about and having this event for uh, black issues, community concerns, etc. What What are your thoughts on this Jim Lucas guy? He's but, done it repeatedly. Yeah, well, and, and Kim, I think it's important for those who may not be familiar with who this person is. He is uh, a class A buffoon. Uh, who is offensive in every, he has offended every body he can possibly offend, some more than once or some more than twice. And yet he escapes. He was arrested uh, for uh, recently for in, you know, until he was high, he'd been smoking weed, wrecked a car, walked away from it and got out of that because he he pleaded all kinds of things. I mean, the man is an absolute dumpster fire. And yet and still, he represents the area down around Seymour, uh, Indiana, I think Jackson County and in, in, in that area uh, whatsoever. He has stood on the floor of the legislature. He has stood down there on the statehouse floor and offended his fellow lawmakers. He has done everything you can think of to do. And then for him, like you say, to go to a, now to go to a school and to flash a handgun at high school students is just unthinkable. But then again, he's done the unthinkable for the last five or six years and hasn't managed to to escape. So with that background, for those who may not be familiar with who Jim Lucas is, um, I'll go back to uh, Miss Posey and Mr. Brown. Yeah, I I would just say um, this is exactly why Community Day is so important for us to show our faces at the State House, to show that these are the issues that we care about as a community and that we're not going to back down. Um, that we are voters, that we are we have rights. Um, and also what we're doing with Community Day is ensuring that we have folks across the state um, showing up as well, right, and, and being a part of the conversation. So 
um, you know, we we can't do everything, but what we can do is show up in numbers um, and demand that um, folks take our priorities and our issues seriously. Yeah, well, and, and, and with that, uh, you know, one of the topics that resonated a lot on our survey was community violence. And then in, mm. retro, in, in, in light of that community violence and that community violence discussion, um, we discussed uh, responsible gun ownership. And so I think mm. in tandem with um, some of the actions that we've seen happen in the state house lately, um, you know, just just reminding people of what things that can be done as far as responsible gun ownership um, can can do what would go a long way. So in voicing your opinions um, and, and what you think about what happened along along those lines, I think that goes along with what we've been advocating for as it relates to community violence, responsible gun ownership, and, you know, that everybody should be held accountable in those instances when they're not being upheld. What can the community do to hold a rogue, offensive, law-breaking legislator accountable? Is there anything within uh, the powers of those voting members of the community to impact or affect that in any way, shape, or form, especially uh, if they're becoming frustrated that these instances are able to happen again and again and again? I mean, is there anything within that? I understand what you're saying. Um, about the legislature, but is there anything that that voters uh, can do, uh, the everyday citizen can do? You know, I, I think of come, becoming a part of the political process. Okay. Um, you, you know, you have the ability to write your legislator. You have the ability to write your speaker of the house, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and all of all of the representatives that are within the general assembly. Uh, whether it be a senator or a, a House member. And so if you have an, an opposition towards someone's behavior that's, that is um, repeated mm-hmm. in the General Assembly, you are well within your right to, to voice that opinion, whether it be by phone or whether it be by mail, mm-hmm. um, or, or actually uh, request a sit-down so, mm-hmm. so that you're well within your right as a taxpayer mm-hmm. to, to do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay. Tina, I just want this is my last. Point. No, no, go ahead, Kim. Uh, you know, it was just recently uh, put out in the community that for approximately ten years, the BMV has been selling our information mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. tune that they have received over two hundred million dollars mm-hmm. mm-hmm. for selling our information, and that could be. But what is the state, if they're doing that, which I don't think they have a right to do that, but, I mean, how are they vetting these companies that they're selling our personal information to? Because ju- I just recently got into a personal experience that now has got me going in like five or six different ways. And I don't know if a lot of people read that or heard about that, but that is another issue with the state. If the BMV is making money off of us, where's our coattail? And where was the acknowledgement or awareness of them letting taxpayers know 
that they're using and selling our information. True, true. And, and with that, I'll get off the line, Tina. Thank you. No, no problem. Thank you, Kim. And, and you know that that's a, that's a great point. Uh, Very good point. On on, you know, a a great idea for mm-hmm. future legislation. Like if you if you don't want that to happen. Um, you 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 have to reach out to your mm. your local elected official mm-hmm. and say, hey, I understand that the BMV is making money off of citizens' information. How do we uh, prohibit that, or make sure mm-hmm. that any any if any information that yeah. is shared um, provides a a subsidy to that mm-hmm. individual mm-hmm. who is a uh, driver, driver's license holder or ID holder in Indiana um, as it relates to the information that's being shared. So I, I think that, you know, there's different ways that you can craft things like that, but I think you would be well within your right to reach out to your local elected official and say, hey, I have a concern about that, and, you know, that's that's a part of coalition building because I'm pretty sure you will find other people that have that same problem, and if that's that's so then you're off to the races towards making um, policies uh, come to fruition. Indeed. Did you want to, Andy? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Representative Bartlett, how are you? I'm fine. How about yourself? I'm doing well, doing well. Thank you for calling in. All right. All right. I was uh, listening to the program. It, mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad to hear and, that. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, I was uh, listening to the, the gun piece. But uh, I think that uh, Brother Tim Brown's got it right. We as citizens don't pay enough attention to the laws that are being passed. Uh, we just inlawed guns and outlawed books last last session. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, certain books is against the law for you to have in the library. Mm-hmm. But I can turn 18, go down to Walmart, purchase a gun, and put it on my side, walk down the street, I'm perfectly legal. Uh, but I can't go in and buy a beer. I can't legally cut someone's hair because I don't have a license. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these things that you can do or cannot do because you don't have a license will not take anyone's life, but you can buy a gun and put it on your side. But uh, the taxpayers were silent. This year, House Bill 1338, I got up and I talked against it because House Bill 1338 is passed out of the House. It's not passed the Senate yet. But it limits what you can say at a public meeting. All government meetings are paid for by taxpayers, yet you cannot go and truly voice your opinion. If the person in charge says, Tina, you're out of order, I want to know, Tina, you're out of order, Yes, but as as a taxpayer, I want to know, Tina, you're out of order, so that's three times. So now I can have you removed from the meeting. Mm. Wow. We don't pay attention to what's going on down here. We down here, we fight, we fight, we fight. But we have to, as as a citizen, as a taxpayer, you have to, and you have to call into question those folk who you have, have, have elected. Yeah. You have to call them into question. So, so, so Representative Bartlett, what... What's the best leverage for citizens um, to hold someone or lawmaker? The, the best leverage, I guess, uh, to, to try to hold someone accountable or to get attention, especially if you are in a situation like we have um, at 
at the state house uh, where uh, it's a super one particular party and their mindset is a super majority. What's the best leverage that the minority can use against the, the you know to at least get the attention of the super majority so that some kind of meaningful discourse uh, can our discussion can take place? Well, first off, the minority party's got stop has to stop being so timid uh, and step up. Mm-hmm. It, uh, uh, the way that we go fight back, I grew up in Brightwood. This is not the way we did it. You know what I'm saying so, like uh, uh, you have, but you have to call them accountable. You have, hold them accountable, and you have to call them on issues. Uh, Representative Pryor is, is very good at that. She's very good at that. It, uh, uh, it's a few. It's a few legislators here that uh, represent Pryor's in leadership, but uh, it's a few legislators that will. But we need the backing of the people. We need for the, the taxpayers to pay attention, to write letters, to come to the, the state house and voice their opinion. Mm-hmm. If there's something that that John Bartlett is doing that that you disagree with, let him know. We're not we're not mind readers, mm-hmm. but you need to let me know because as a state representative, <clears throat> it's my job to represent the ideology of my constituency base. That's my job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and I am your employee. Mm-hmm. That's the piece you have to understand. The, all these folk in the state house are your employees. Yeah. And if you're unhappy with, with their performance, you need mm-hmm. to voice that. So how is that message getting across? We're talking about uh, the upcoming uh, Community Day at the State House, Tuesday, February 6th, uh, starting at 8.30 a.m. down at the State House. Uh, the managing partner for Crossroads Public Affairs, Tim Brown, is here with us, as is Denisha Posey, uh, Vice President and General Counsel for Black Onyx Management. Um, and they are uh, in collaboration with uh, some other uh other agencies that that are putting this effort together uh, for uh, again for the community. So the the question would be, my question is, uh, you, you did it last year, um, and I'm sure you did it a debrief um, or and what have you. So what did you learn from last year, um, and how is that impacting what you may or may not be doing uh, this year as far as the effort? Other than breakfast being different than lunch. Let me say this. Oh. Tim Brown is a major asset. And when I first came down to the legislature, we did not have a lot of African Americans in the hallway. Okay. And having African Americans in the hallway is truly an asset. Uh, lobbying for yeah that that's and and that needs to grow the uh you each session is a different session and that you learn uh so much every time and so like having those folk who you can step to that you can trust is huge uh and and I could step to Tim Brown and say hey Tim what about this mm-hmm. Uh, and I can get an honest answer. I may not agree with it. And after he answers, I may not vote the way that he wants me to vote, but at least I know I got an honest answer. Uh, if there's something that, that he needs from me, he can step to me and let me know. 
uh, I need you to vote for this, and this is why. And then after I hear his argument, I may not even have an opinion on it or I was going to go the other way, but after listening to his argument, it may sway the way that that I vote. So having those people in the hall hallway is huge, and talking to different groups, uh, that's the way we we craft our legislation. Should craft our legisla- uh, legislation? That should be the way that you craft that legislation. Tim, you wanted to weigh in. Yeah, uh, um, to to respond to and, and thank you for your your comments, uh, uh, Representative Bartlett. Um, you know, to, to respond to the the comment about uh, what we learned from last. Uh, community conversation was that once people were further um, informed on the legislative process and how to get involved, um, it was an outpouring from the community to do more. And from that outpouring from the community to do more, um, that rolled into the policy summit that we did with the Indiana Black Expo during the summer celebration. because the community continues to engage, uh, Crossroads has a commitment to to be engaged with the community. So we are going to do the policy summit again, this next uh, mm-hmm. Black Expo, and we're going to continue to fine tune and craft the community agenda and make sure that we're responsive to the community as to what they feel is important policy-wise. Now, what that means is as we roll this out in a state in a statewide collaborative, that means we have checks and balances throughout the state from different communities that can talk to their local lawmaker as to the importance of the policies that have been agreed upon in this community initiative. And so there may be, there may be a person out in Elkhart that may not have a member of the Black Black Caucus as a member as their legislator, but because you have a citizen that is connected to this community-wide, statewide agenda, then they understand what's important collectively as to what we've discussed throughout the years and keeping each other informed. Mm -hmm. So it it creates a checks and balances that will also assist a, 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 uh, a more collaborative way to make sure that lawmakers are on the same page mm-hmm. with each of our communities, regardless of if you're in Indianapolis, Gary, Evansville, Fort Wayne, or to and from and between. What do you think has proven more challenging for those who participate uh, in Community Day at the State House? Has it been policy or procedure? Which which of those two areas do you think has been more of a challenge? Well, I, I think it would be. Maybe it's both. Uh, I don't know. It could it, be both. I, I, I don't know. I think once you you understand mm-hmm. the procedure, the procedure. Okay. it's just crafting the policy. Ah, mm-hmm. okay. um, Because you have to, you know, we're still in a uh, overall conservative state, so you have to craft policy in a, in a way that can make it to the finish line and actually be enacted into law. So mm-hmm. what that means is that at some point this has to be sold across both sides of the aisle mm. um, yes. to, to make to make it uh, in the state law. Mm-hmm. So so therefore uh, the way we approach things sometimes is rather unique. But then um, getting more people informed and getting more people 
um, in the know as to what is at stake always ends, ends, uh, wins the end of the day. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, th- th- I was going to say, do you have anything to No, to Tim's doing such a great job. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so how do, uh, if someone has not uh, participated in this before and wants to participate next Tuesday, what's the process? Uh, you know, what, what do folks need to do uh, to become a part of this? Yes. Yeah, so the first thing I would want to say is it could seem intimidating going down to the state house and being around folks and not really understanding the processes and the, and the policy. So the first thing that I would want to say is we welcome everyone. We want everyone to show up. We want to be in numbers at the state house. So do not feel intimidated about going down to the state house. As Representative Bartlett sta- stated, uh, they work for us. We're the taxpayers. Uh, we pay their salaries, right? Um, and so that's our state house. Um, so first thing is find us on Eventbrite and register. We are also um, on social media, on our Facebook pages, on Instagram and LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find um, access to um, the Eventbrite. Um, it is called Community Day 2024. And so you'll be able to find us Um And we definitely need you to register so that we know how much breakfast to have for everyone. Um, And please be there on time. We are starting at 830 with our networking and our breakfast. And the program starts promptly at 9 a.m. We have the Speaker of the House um, who will be giving some introductory remarks um, right at 9 o'clock. So we need folks to be there and be there on time. Um, and just just come in and immerse yourself in in learning what's going on. Um, ask questions. Uh, we we want to know. For, we want to hear from you. We want to know what your concerns are, um, so that we can continue to fine tune this and make this even bigger and better next year. So that's how I would start it off. That's 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 where I see the biggest need. Just you know, let down your guards and come down there and and learn with us. Mm-hmm. So there, there's no charge. No it's charge. It's free and open to the public. And registration is simply just that. It is not an information grab. Registration is a catering need, not an insp- – and, and a lot of people, I you know, I, I repeat that often because a lot of people are thinking, well, I don't want, you know, if I took the morning off, I don't want my boss to know I went down to do something, you know, seemingly political or what have you. No, it's, it's not anything like that. It's just simply to, to get a head count. Uh, and to know how to better manage uh, the, the, the food and things of that nature. But it is important to register so that uh, you, you have everybody that you need uh, registered, so to speak, not meaning to, to keep repeating the word registration. <laughs> uh, but um, so uh, anything else you want to add before? Because I don't, I don't want to miss anything because this is very important. And this is a shorter session. Um, this year, uh, it's not a budget session. It's a shorter session, so a little bit more compact. And you know, I I would like to. I would love to see the house packed. I mean, I would I would think that would be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, you know, next Tuesday is the day before halftime in the general assembly. So in ah. a short session, that means the bills are changing from one side to the other. Um, you have third third uh reading, reading in the senate mm. on uh, on the 6th 
So uh, the rest of that week, the bills will be changing from their house of origin to the other house, to the other, from the Senate to the House and the House to the Senate. So what that means is that you only have two to three weeks to make a change in what becomes law this particular session. So um, we encourage you to uh, come, become informed, get engaged, um, and then be a part of this process. Uh, Like Representative Bartlett said, I mean, uh, these lawmakers work for you, um, so it, it would be advantageous for you to become more informed and actually play a part in the policies that are going to affect your day-to-day, uh, your day-to-day life. That ownership is something that is so very lost uh, with with our citizens. Is like, you know, they act like it's 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 an untouchable, or you can't say what you want to mm-hmm. say, or you can't approach a, a, a lawmaker, not knowing and not understanding that every time you get your paycheck and you see something taken out, oh, they took some more taxes out. That goes to them, you know, to them and the whole system that supports them. So that means you are paying, and and I think. Sometimes we don't necessarily make that strong connection Mm -hmm. that Representative Bartlett talks about often. He was on last week and he mentioned it again. But this is true. You are paid. They are paid from your salary. You dragging yourself into work on a day when you don't feel like it. You're paying for that down. You're paying for the buffoon. You know, somebody needs to take care of him. But anyway, another show. Uh, (laughs) Be that as it may. I think this is a fantastic opportunity. and, And again, um, just go to Eventbrite and get registered. Is there a deadline uh, that people have to be registered by? Um, hopefully you can be registered by Monday afternoon so that we can get a final good, count. Good, yeah. um, but uh, we're going to try to keep it open as long as possible. Mm-hmm. And parking? So There's parking. Okay, just there, say there's parking. Yeah, there's, there, <laughs> there is park, park. downtown parking. Downtown parking, we would, okay. We would that's, recommend yeah. either uh, street parking okay. or there are some different uh, parking garages located near yeah. the state house. But a little secret that I've found because I'm coming further downtown these days, coming to Monument Circle. The earlier you get there, like, like yeah. your your event starts at eight thirty, the earlier you get there, parking is very plentiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't really start plugging up until about eight thirty or nine. So if you get there before eight thirty, you shouldn't really have too much of a problem finding street surface, or if you'd prefer. Uh, parking garage that it really doesn't start filling up yeah. until later and on. there is security that you'll have to go through briefly but we mm-hmm. are up on the third floor so when you come in you can take the elevator or you can take the beautiful stairs uh, mm-hmm. up to the third floor we'll be right in the atrium all right community day at the state house next tuesday 8 30 a.m thank you both so much tim brown denisha posey uh, and thanks for all the work that you do with the citizens, the community. We really appreciate you coming in, sharing, and uh, uh, let us know how it goes. We'd love to hear feedback on how everything went this year. Awesome. Thank Absolutely. you so much for having us. Thank Absolutely, you Tina. Thank you for appreciate having us. It. Thank you. And uh, believe it or not, wow, what a show. Everything has gone very quickly today. That is all the time we have for Community Connection. And you know what? When AJ starts playing that music, he's saying, come on, Tina, come on, wrap it up, wrap it up, wrap it up. <laughs> Is that what you're saying, AJ? (laughs) Oh, in the background, in the background. We are always praise AM 1310 and 95.1 FM, Indy's inspiration. Don't forget about our website, praiseindy.com. Willie Moore Jr. on the radio is up next. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our new call-in number, we say it every day. We're going to keep telling you, 317-972-3008. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow with Open Lines, uh, Week in Review, and a whole lot more. As always, until then, please be safe and be well. 
I'm Tina Cosby, and this is Community Connection. Thank you.